Hey y'all, this is John Lorance. I want to reach out with a quick podcast for all the SRNAs out there who have been furloughed from clinical due to the current pandemic. Shout out to Kayla McGann over at Excella Health School of Anesthesia in Pennsylvania for sending me the idea to pull this show together. She's pursuing her doctorate degree in anesthesiology and thought an episode for all the furloughed SRNAs out there would be helpful. Thanks, Kayla, and I hope this helps. I'm going to try to keep this quick, 20 minutes or so, and offer you some thoughts to think about that may help you stay the course through these definitely crazy times. I want you to know that last year I stepped into the role of the clinical coordinator for SRNAs at Maine Medical Center, which includes our Level 1 Trauma Center and Outpatient Surgery Center here in Portland, Maine. Since taking on this new role, figuring out ways to support SRNAs has become even more important to me. Y'all are the future. You're our next colleagues, the next innovators, the next crew who will be at the tip of the spear, providing world-class anesthesia to the patients who need you, alongside surgical teams who will be counting on you. I hope this podcast is like a breath of fresh air for your journey and helps you find the motivation to dig deep and keep going. So first, these are some crazy times, right? Never in the modern history has there been a time when clinical training for healthcare providers has been disrupted in quite the same way. Anesthesia school is ridiculously hard, like all the time. And this pandemic certainly has not made it any easier. I want to point you to a few other shows in the podcast that may help provide some context if you haven't caught them already. The first is called The Imperial College Report. Another is Hardship in Anesthesia School. And the others are the recent shows on wellness and relaxation techniques with Matt Zender. The Imperial College Report came out on March 16th, just a couple of weeks ago, and unpacks the rationale behind social distancing techniques and their impact on modeling the severity of the pandemic in the UK and the United States. As anesthesia providers, we should be familiar with the report, and the podcast that I put out will quickly walk you through it. It also helps explain why staying out of clinical rotations is a reasonable idea unless you're part of the essential staff providing services. You don't want to burn through PPE that could otherwise go to essential staff, and you don't want to contribute to the spread of the virus. The Hardship in Anesthesia episode is one of the most listened to shows on the podcast. You may find it, along with the episodes on stress management and wellness with Matt Zender, particularly helpful right now. So anesthesia school is ridiculously hard at baseline, and a worldwide pandemic obviously isn't making it easier. Like the saying goes, Anesthesia school is just like riding a bike, right? Except the bike is on fire and the ground is on fire and everything is on fire and now we're in a pandemic too. Many of you have new stressors layered in, whether it's financial strain, caring for other family members, trying to figure out what to do with your kids who are driving you crazy, spouses or significant others who've been laid off. Maybe you've even contracted COVID-19 and are dealing with the illness that we're all focused on preventing and treating. At least a couple of our local SRNAs have tested positive and have had to self-quarantine from family while furloughed from clinical. I'm sure all of you out there who are out of clinical are also wondering how this will affect graduation dates and when you'll be able to land that job. The main thing I want you to hear right now is that you're still on the right path and grad school is worth it. It's worth sticking with your plan and finding a way to dig deep and keep moving forward. Even if you're out of clinical for several months, and graduations delayed, it's still worth it. In the grand scope of your career, a few months delay will not make a huge difference financially or in your overall experience. But not completing graduate school because of this delay would change your future in massive ways. So stay the course. Don't let up 
you got to keep your eyes on the prize. You may need to take an hour or two and refocus on that. You know, sit down and think about where you've come from and where you want to be. Imagine the life you're moving towards. The expanded knowledge base, skill set, and scope of practice you're developing to care for your patients and the massive financial gain that you will realize by returning to school and deepening the value you bring to the healthcare arena and all of our communities. You might need to sit down and do the math. You know, figure out what your average annual and monthly income may be. Calculate that out over the 20, 30, or 40 years you plan to work and see what a couple of month delay in graduation is costing you in the long run. It's really not that much. While pursuing a career in anesthesia should not be about the money, sometimes one of the big anchors we pull around with us is our worry over how the financial equation will work out. How we balance the startling and rapid accumulation of student debt we amass pursuing this dream and how long we can sit not making money while furloughed and whether or not the payoff is worth it in the long run. So do the math, write it down. As a friend of mine put it to me back when I was making nine bucks an hour as an outdoor guide, you know, if you can take it on the chin for a couple of years, uh, a handful of years it takes to get through training, the payoff over the next 20 to 30 years of your life is massive. And the same is true for you as an SRNA right now. If you're delayed a couple of months, it's not going to make a huge difference in the long run. So stay the course. Now, I want to give you a couple of practical tips for managing your time right now and a story or two before wrapping up. One of the best things you can do as an SRNA at any time, and especially during a pandemic, is to set a schedule for yourself and stick to it. Grad school is like a job, and you're still in grad school. So schedule time to study, exercise, and sleep, and stick to that schedule. Get off social media. You know that people are dancing on TikTok, and that the news is flooded with pandemic coverage. What you don't know is everything that you should be studying. Right, So set a schedule like a 30-minute window late in the day for social media and news surfing, but otherwise, shut it down. You will free up an incredible amount of productive time. I've always said that if you want to excel in school, train as if you're preparing for a significant event, like an actor or athlete would. Dial in your sleep, nutrition, and exercise plan. Take care of your body. Your mind is housed in a body after all. And you will find that you perform better mentally, emotionally, and physically with the demands of school. So another thing you can do is to pick a program and start studying for boards, regardless of where you're at in school. Whether it's Prodigy, Apex, or Valley, or your notes and textbooks, you got to hop to it. Boards is not going to get any easier because we've all suffered through a pandemic. And you sure as hell don't want an additional delay on your plate if you don't pass boards the first time. Even if you're in your first year and haven't started clinical rotations yet, or were furloughed like our SRNAs after only a couple of months into clinical, put boards on your radar and set aside a time to begin preparing. Another thing you can do is that if you're freshly out of clinical, create some checklists and outlines for all the stuff that you do in clinical on a routine basis if you've not already done so. Write down your room setup steps, outline a patient pre-op interview, think through your induction sequence, Outline management of different cases you've done. Write that stuff down now while it's still fresh and review it just before you go back to clinical. Especially if you're out of clinical for several months, having checklists and outlines will definitely help. I have over 80 notes related to anesthesia on my phone, many of which are outlines for cases that I've created over the years as guides for me on how to manage those cases. 
it can be months between cases, but having an outline to pull out in the middle of the day can be super helpful. Just the other day, I helped a friend set up for a pheochromocytoma. I haven't done one of those in probably two years. It's a pretty big case, maybe one of the harder cases to manage in anesthesia. But I've got a very detailed note on my phone that's like a recipe. It covers all the relevant pathophysiology and an outline for the vasoactive drips and associated pharmacology and how to string all that stuff up in the OR. That kind of stuff is super helpful to me now as a clinician. And you can take the time that you have on your hands right now to develop and build similar guides for yourself. Here's another idea. Find a buddy who's also been furloughed and schedule a one hour weekly virtual meeting where you can swap case studies. Each person should develop a case study outline and present that to the other SRNA with questions about how they would manage the case. Quiz each other. It will make you better. Another thing that you can do is take some time and dial in your financial plan for after school. I guarantee you that every hour you put towards constructively mapping out a sound financial plan will definitely be worth it. And if there's ever been an impetus for saving three to six months of expenses as an emergency fund, it's the current situation we've seen, where 1099 and even some W-2 CRNAs have been laid off or are experiencing a dramatic reduced income. So get your plan together now. Your future self will definitely be glad that you did. All right, so here's a clinical exercise that you can do. And shout out to Cree, one of my favorite CRNAs for this idea. Imagine a monitor in the OR with all the parameters that might be displayed heart rate, SpO2, BP, entitled CO2, temp, peak pressures, etc. Think through the answers to this question. If any singular value on that monitor either went up or down suddenly, what are the possible causes of that and what would you do about it? Thinking through your approach to that clinical question will help you prepare for emergencies that you might face in the future once you get back into the clinical arena. Some of you are pursuing jobs right now as ICU RNs in order to either help out or make a few bucks or both. And that's not necessarily a bad idea, but don't drop the ball on graduate school. Remember that your main focus is not trying to find work as an ICU nurse. It's completing graduate school and becoming a CRNA. I wish that I had more time in my program to study and to read and to dig deeper into pathophysiology and pharmacology. If you can afford to take the time out of clinical without going to find a job right now and see this downtime as a gift, I would really encourage you to do so. Every bit of training and studying that you put in right now will improve your performance as a CRNA and it will make boards easier. If you're floating the expenses on student loans, you will definitely be able to cover those expenses and to get those student loans paid off after you become a CRNA. And if there's anything that you can do to get ahead in your program, like working on your doctoral project or thesis, take this time to try to get ahead. Hopefully your professors are able to move up project start dates so that you can maximize this time out of clinical to offload your future schedule. You may be in the situation later this year where you need to put in longer days or extra days in clinical to try to catch back up. All right, a couple of stories for you and then we're gonna wrap up. So six years ago in 2014 at the Orlando AANA Annual Congress, I had the incredible privilege to hear anesthesiologist Edmund Eager present for three hours on the history of anesthesia. Now, Dr. Eager was the guy who figured out MAC, the minimum alveolar concentration of volatile anesthetics at which 50% of the population won't move to surgical stimulus, like that MAC. He came up with that. He's like literally 
the Mac Daddy. All right, so he's an incredible guy. I'll post a link in the show notes to a eulogy that the New York Times did after his death in 2017. It's a fascinating read. You should totally check it out. So after his incredibly fascinating, detailed, often firsthand storytelling of the history of anesthesia, he took questions for several minutes at this conference. And someone asked him to comment on the differences between CRNAs and physician anesthesiologists. His answer was measured and professional. So he said in terms of quality of care and safety, both professions are equivalent. He mentioned the fact that nurses began providing anesthesia professionally before physicians, that the physicians who were some of the first to give anesthetics were actually quite terrible at it and killed a lot of patients because they were more interested in watching and learning how to perform the surgery than they were attending to the patient. Nurses, Eager said, helped establish the professionalism and safety of anesthesia and that today, you wouldn't really be able to see a significant difference in the level of care given by a CRNA or a physician anesthesiologist. That both professions have excellent providers, and both professions have poor or inattentive or suboptimal care providers. He did draw this one critical difference. That throughout the previous hundred years, physicians have overwhelmingly contributed more to the science and progression of the field of anesthesia than their nursing counterparts. And that he'd hoped, moving forward, CRNAs would take up the research and development side of the profession with as much rigor that they have pursued mastering the clinical side. Now, some leading researchers in the field of nursing anesthesiology have been disappointed by the fact that moving close to 80% of our programs to doctoral-level training to date has not resulted in any substantial increase in the number or quality of papers submitted to professional journals. There's a vein in this thinking that equates the research developed by doctoral trainees as a measure of the quality of the programs or even the degree in general, and that we have a lot of work to do. As a counterweight, as like an alternative opinion, I can speak to the local physician anesthesiology residency program. The residents complete three years of anesthesia-specific clinical and didactic training, similar to that of many nurse anesthesiology programs. And they face the same challenge of initiating and completing substantial research. It's just difficult to do quality research in an entry-to-practice training program that's set up on a three-year timetable. One solution for programs, both physician and nursing anesthesia programs, is to move towards developing longitudinal research or projects that sequential classes of students can contribute towards. Forcing each class to complete their own projects puts a de facto limit on the quality and the depth of those projects. This, carried out perpetually, undermines the production of quality research from our training programs. So what does that mean for you right now? Well, in terms of your graduate project, it can be tough to put together substantial research, right, and to write for publication while in school. So maybe you can, you know, pick something in your project that will help lay a foundation to your clinical work or something that will uh, create the foundation that you can come back to in future research. One of the things that I want you to understand is that passing boards isn't the finish line. It's a huge accomplishment to be sure. I don't want to take away from that. And you, you will get there despite what you may be feeling right now. You will get to graduation and you will get through boards. But those things are really just the starting point. I mean, look around right now. We clearly have not figured out how to design a resilient healthcare system that can quickly flex to meet the demands of our current situation. 
We need future clinicians who can leverage their talents to innovate and create better solutions and design better systems. We need innovators like SRNAs and CRNAs to lead in our healthcare communities and help design systems of care from electronic medical records and billing practices to medical staff credentialing and state and federal legislation that are more nimble and flexible and better prepared to meet the challenges of a globalized world and the demands that that brings to our healthcare systems. As hard as it may be to believe right now, we are living in someone else's dark ages, right? So like a hundred years from now, when SARS-CoV-2 is in the history books, CRNAs and other healthcare providers will look back on this time and wonder how we even got by. Innovation will always be part of our field and our world. And you have an incredible opportunity to engage and create after your anesthesia training. You're laying a foundation and building a platform right now that will open numerous doors to you professionally. So one thing you can do now is to think about how you want to leverage your professional career to not only become an expert anesthesia provider in the OR, but also contribute and move the profession forward. If you're in a master's anesthesia training program right now, take some time to research post-master's DMP programs or doctoral programs. Think about if pursuing your DMP should be part of your plan. While only having a master's now will not close out any employment opportunities as a clinical CRNA for you, getting your DMP will only continue to open up doors and opportunities to you moving forward. All right, one final word of encouragement. I want you to know about the grit factor. Angela Duckworth is a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Duckworth describes grit as a key character trait found in high achieving individuals. I think of it this way. Grit is what you have when your passion fuels a perseverance that propels you through obstacles to achieve your goals. And grit is something you can develop. When you're more gritty, you're more likely to be successful in working through difficult challenges. Duckworth describes four core elements of developing grittiness. The first is interest. Are you fascinated by and enjoy the work that you're doing? The second is practice. You will need to engage in deliberate practice to be able to grow your skills and knowledge base on your path to becoming an expert anesthesia provider. The third is purpose. Is the work you're doing connected to a greater good? And the fourth is hope. It's believing that the juice is worth the squeeze, that all your hard work will pay off in the long run. So if you can find interest in what you're pursuing, engage in deliberate practice to move forward in meaningful ways and improve, and find purpose connected to a greater good and maintain a sense of hope in your work, you can develop a grit factor that will pull you through the toughest of times, times such as these. This path you're on, the specific path, your path, your story, as hard as it may be right now, will be a source of motivation and inspiration for those who come behind you because that's how hardship works. And that is also how compassion works. The harder and more challenging your personal journey is, the more you will be able to give out of that story to others who also face a difficult journey of their own. So remember, you're on the right path. 
Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Train like you mean it and it will pay off. The juice is definitely worth the squeeze. Take care and be well. I'll see you next time.